Take your Bible. Thank you so much. It's good to be here from Medford, Oregon. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Chronicles 32. And actually, when you get there, turn to 2 Chronicles 32, because number one, that's what I meant to say. And number two, there is no 1 Chronicles 32. <clears throat> so if you find 1 Chronicles 32, you better get yourself in your Bible. 2 Chronicles 32. And while you're standing, let's go ahead and read our text this morning. Then we'll have a word of prayer and you can be seated. 2 Chronicles 32, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3. I'll give some background in just a moment, but I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse number 3, where the Bible says, He took counsel, that is Hezekiah, took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he sent captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed. For the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him." With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Let's have a word of prayer and you can be seated. Our Father, we're so thankful and grateful for your goodness to us and for your love for us. But Lord, before we consider what you've done for us, we want to thank you for who you are. Lord, we want to thank you for just being a God that loves us enough to, enough to provide salvation for us. Lord, thank you that you are a God that wants relationship with his creation. And Lord, today as we open up your word, I pray that you take the two-edged sword of truth here and that you would pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And with one side of that two-edged sword, I pray that you'd bring conviction where necessary. With the other side, I pray that you'd bring encouragement where necessary. And we'll give you the glory for what you choose to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Years ago, I was traveling with, uh, I used to serve as a youth pastor in San Jose, California, and I was traveling with my wife and our six-month-old daughter, who is our oldest child. She was our firstborn child. Uh, she's 14 now, and she's one of four children that we have, but her name's Morgan. And I was traveling with my wife and Morgan and a group of seniors to Washington, D.C. on their senior trip. We had a great week, a great 10 days at Washington, D.C. We were traveling back, and we had a layover in Chicago. And it was in Chicago that we were sitting at our gate, waiting for our connecting flight to fly back to San Francisco. And a couple of the teenagers had to go use the restroom, so they went down the way to the restroom. And on the way back, they came in, and they said, Pastor Lloyd, Pastor Lloyd, guess what? I said, what? I said, we're not totally sure, but we think Jerry Rice is just two gates down. I was like, you think so? Why don't you go back there and see if it's him? I said, no, no, we don't want to do that. And I, I was a little surprised by that because I remember if I was a teenager, if I, when I saw someone famous, man, I'd run right up to him. I wasn't, I wasn't ashamed. I wasn't shy. But they didn't want to do that. And so, so I did what every good father would do, and I picked up my six-month-old daughter because I knew that he wouldn't be able to say no to her. <laughs> and so I picked up Morgan, and I went walking a couple gates down, and sure enough, Jerry Rice is sitting by himself, nobody around him, at this gate. I walked up to him, and 
I said, well, hello, Mr. Rice. And he looked at me and said, well, hi, how are you? I said, I'm doing well. I said, sorry, I will not take much of your time. I just wanted to say hi. So my teenagers thought it was you, and I just wanted to see if it was. He's like, well, it is me. He's like, where are they? I said, they're down there. I said, I can go get them if you want. He's like, no, no, that's okay. He's like, let's just talk. Let's just chat for a little while. And so we sat there for a while, and we just talked back and forth. I didn't ask him to sign anything. I didn't do anything like that, but I, I was just getting to know him a little bit. He's an interesting guy, actually a very nice guy to talk to. And he, and he says to me, I'm getting ready to leave. He says, hey, well, can I take a picture with your daughter? I said, well, sure, I just happen to have a camera. Sure, you can take a picture. So I, you know, being a first, firstborn child, I delicately, carefully, meticulously hand over my six-month-old daughter to this man that I just met. And he picks her up and holds her, and, and I take a couple pictures, and then he starts to do something. And I got to tell you, I was a little upset at first. Because he went like this, and he raised her up in the air, and he was like, well, I'm making googly eyes at her and making her laugh. She was smiling at a good time. And then he did this. He threw her in the air. <laughs> I had never even thrown her into the air at that point. She's six months old. I'm a new dad. This is the first child. He throws her in the air and he's playing catch with her. I'm like, oh, look, look, look at that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, if he drops her. And then I realize who I'm talking about. It's Jerry Rice. I mean, I could take Morgan and say, hey, go deep and throw, him to, throw her to him and it'd be just fine. And so here, here, here he is, he's tossing my daughter up in the air, and finally when he's done, he's like, he's like, man, you've got a beautiful daughter. I said, I know, I want to keep her that way. <laughs> and so he gives, me back to, he gives Morgan back to me, and we thank him. I shake his hand, and I go back to the gate, and the teenagers were all kind of looking with anticipation, with waiting for me to come back. And I get back, and they're like, well, was it him? I said, yeah, it was him. I got some pictures of him with Morgan. I said, I'm telling you, he's a great guy. You guys got to go down there, and, and, and you guys got to meet him. He'll talk to you. He will. They said, okay. So they run down there, and when they got there, he was gone. No, not uh. That was great. I was like, I was the only one that got to meet him. <laughs> I was okay with that. I, 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 was, I was like telling the teenagers on the way home, I was like, hey, you know, I got to meet Jerry Rice. So who'd you guys meet? Was there anybody famous that you guys met on this trip? I got to meet Jerry Rice. And you know, I think back to that opportunity, I think back to that experience, and I think this, man, what an opportunity they missed. I mean, they had a, they had a chance, they had a, an opportunity, probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to meet arguably the best receiver in the history of the NFL, and they missed it. They missed an opportunity. You know, and then I, I think about, yeah, I was just telling Dr. R, it's been over 20 years since I graduated from college now. That makes me old. Um, but but I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if I, could, if I could go back, I think I'd take my college experience a little bit more seriously. I, I really think that uh, rather than going to classes just to try to get a good grade and get through the class, I, I think I would actually try to make application a little bit better to my life. I think I, I would try my best to not waste the opportunity. Now, I'm not saying I wasted the opportunity. I just know personally that I could have gotten a whole lot more. Yeah. And so let me encourage you, college students. Don't waste the opportunity that God's given to you. I mean, Dr. Getch stood up here and he said, you're going to, uh, even, even not knowingly, you're going to make lifelong friends and you're going to build lasting memories. And that's all true. Yeah. 
But make sure you take the opportunity seriously to prepare. Because the call to prepare for ministry is as important as the call to ministry. Because when God calls you to ministry, part of your call to ministry is preparation for that call. And here God's called you to prepare. He's called you to prepare. This morning I want to preach to you a message that I've just entitled, The Necessity of Preparation. The Necessity of Preparation. And if you think about Israel's history at this point, the kingdom has already been divided after the reign of King Solomon between his two sons. We understand that. And if you know anything about Hebrew history, the ten tribe, the, ten, the northern kingdom is comprised of, comprised of ten tribes. The southern kingdom comprised of two, Judah and Benjamin. And in the north, there is never a good king. Never. In the south, it kind of waffles back and forth between good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And here we're reading about a man named Hezekiah who was a good king. For his rule, he was a good king. Now, he got an additional 15 years of his life where he wasted those years. But he was a good king, especially in this context here where we're reading about. And we're several years removed from the division and several kings into the division. Hezekiah succeeded a man named Ahaz. Ahaz ruled for 16 years and he was a wicked, evil king. And, and uh, Hezekiah comes to the throne now, and he begins to make some changes in the southern kingdom. Listen to some of the things that he accomplished when he came to the throne. And remember, he's following 16 years of evil leadership. This is some of the things that he did. He reopened the temple doors that had been closed. He restored the sacrificial system that had been dismissed. He cleansed the temple. He made sure that things were right at the house of God. The Bible tells us that he took care of the Levites, God's called people to keep the house of God. He also tells us that he required a sacrifice to be offered on behalf of all of Israel. He proclaimed God to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be the one and true only God. He restored the observance of the Passover. He sanctified the people that were in the southern kingdom to God. He tore down the groves and the high places that were set up to these false gods. Here's an interesting one. He tithed. He gave. And he did so much to get Israel back on track. But while all this was going on, there was an evil king, the king of the Assyrians named Sennacherib. And the king of the Assyrians, Sennacherib, he had plotted an attack and a takeover of Hezekiah and the southern kingdom. His army at the time, Sennacherib's army at the time, was about 185,000 strong. And Hezekiah knew that numerically, the army of Israel was no match for the army of the Assyrians at this time. And so our text brings us to that point where Hezekiah has to meet with the people. He has to assess the situation. He has to do some planning and he has to let the people know ultimately what was going on. The fact that they had to prepare for the Assyrian besiege that was coming. You know, so much of our preparation is learning. So much of it is learning. And in 2 Chronicles 32, the verses that we read, I want us to take a, a few moments this morning, and I want us to understand, like I said, that the call to prepare for ministry <clears throat> is a part of your call to the ministry. And you can never overlook that, and don't let people downplay that either. But this morning, I want us to see what Hezekiah led the people to do as they prepared for this particular battle. And so much of it was in what they learned. Now remember, while the context speaks of a physical battle, 
Uh, we're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this morning, I want us to see, I want us to understand the necessity of preparation, really by seeing how Hezekiah led his people to prepare for what was coming. And what did they need to learn in their preparation for battle? I think it's clearly outlined here in the text. Go back to verse 3. Second Chronicles, take a look at the first one. What did they need to learn? The Bible says in verse 3, he took counsel. Hezekiah, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains, which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and, and find much water? The first thing that they had to learn was they needed to learn to sacrifice. They needed to learn to sacrifice. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at the text, it says that, that Hezekiah had to come to a difficult decision. See, they had worked hard to, to, to build the cisterns and to have the brooks flow into the valley from outside Jerusalem there and, and the different wells and stuff. And they went outside with a group of people and they stopped all those waters. Uh, they, they stopped the brook from flowing out. They, they, they filled up the wells and, and they stopped all the waters because he had this in mind. He said, we're not going to allow Sennacherib and the Assyrian army uh, to come toward Jerusalem as they get ready to battle us and use our water to fight against us. And if they come, they're going to have to bring their own water. Now, I have a question for you. This is a difficult one. Is water a bad thing? Okay, three of you knew. Let's see how many of you get it the second time. Is water a bad thing? No. No. Water is not a bad thing. Now, I know there are water Nazis out there, people that think that you're unhealthy if you drink anything other than water. You know, the psalmist said that the dew floweth from the mountaintops. And so I kind of like Mountain Dew. But there are people, well, it's scriptural. But there are people that would say, no, you got to drink water. If you're going to be healthy and take care of your temple, you got to drink water. And I just think to myself, man, what a water Nazi. I mean, what a, what a water tyrant. I mean, when... There have been more people that have died from water than Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew or Coca-Cola. <laughs> and when God chose to, to flood the earth because of violence in the land, what did he use? He used water. He didn't use Mountain Dew. <laughs> but we understand that inherently water is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing for life. We understand that. But Hezekiah led his people and taught them that, hey, if we're going to succeed and if we're going to prepare adequately for the battles that are coming, we're going to have to choose to make some sacrifices, even if it's of a good thing. And they went out there and they did something that they knew would produce more work for them later on. They stopped the water flow going to the valley. They filled up the wells. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that we're supposed to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Obviously, by implication, uh, there's a contrast there. There is sin, and that's the easy thing. Hey, let's put aside the sin. Let's lay aside the sin because we ought not have a, those things as a part of our life. But the difficult thing for us in our discerning is, is the weight because the weight is something that isn't sin, it's not inherently evil, but it is something that can become a part of our life that even could be counted as a blessing of God that we have allowed to hinder our preparation process. You say, well, what are you talking about? 
Well, let's just get very practical for a moment. Um, man, is our cell phone, is that an evil thing? Well, not inherently. In fact, many of you might say, hey, God blessed me with this phone. But did you know that the enemy can use what God has blessed you with to hinder you in proper preparation? He can use what God has, has intended to be a blessing to you. And he can use it as something to trip you up and mess you up. If you've got no control over your use of the cell phone or, or playing a video game and you've got no control of that and you come to classes during the day and you're tired and you can't stay awake, hey, guess what? Maybe it's time for you to learn to sacrifice something because you're called to prepare. Maybe it's time for you to lay something down. You've got to learn to lay it down and just sacrifice something because you've allowed what God intended to be a blessing to hinder you from adequate preparation. There are things sometimes that should be temporarily laid aside so we can make a efficient progress as God has called us to prepare for ministry. And if you can't, if you can't control, if you have a hard time controlling what you turn on, uh, you know, in the radio, on the radio in your car when you get in the car, then maybe it's time to sacrifice. Get it out. Maybe it's time. If, if, you are, if you are suffering, and I know I might get in trouble for this one, but if you are suffering because you're spending all your time with a relationship and you're not prepping the way God's called you to do, we better be careful about that. If you're more concerned about socializing that you have, that you have allowed it to hinder your progress and preparation, we better be careful about that. God has called us to prepare. God has called us to learn. I know sometimes we think, oh, but <clears throat> Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand all the different, uh, all the different things that we have coming our way, and, and, and we just need an outlet. And I, I do understand that. Say, so, oh, yeah, but the restraints, the restraints of college can be so difficult. There's so many uh, rules and guidelines and everything, and it's just so difficult. And I just, I just need some of these things. You know, a few weeks ago, I was taking my daughter. She's 14. The six-month-old is 14 now, and I was taking her to work. Um, and on the way to work, as I was taking her out to a ranch, she works out there where she boards her horse to help pay for the, the boarding costs. And, and as I was taking her out there, a bird flew in front of my car, and I hit it. And, and I was thinking to myself, I immediately said, man, I wonder how many points was that? <laughs> now, my daughter didn't get that reference, but she's like, Dad, you just hit a bird. You hit a bird. Dad, I saw his feathers. And I looked at my daughter and I said, stupid bird. And she said, no, dad, that poor bird. I said, Morgan, that's a dumb bird. Let me tell you why. Because he's got the entire sky and he chooses to fly three feet off the ground. That's the definition of a dumb bird. Probably got what it deserved. And it's amazing how many dumb birds there are. But I'm telling you, the Lord has given us as believers the entire sky to enjoy. But some of us choose to fly three feet from the world. And it can be disastrous. And when, when the enemy is able to take something that God intended to be a blessing and turn it and allow it to be a hindrance in our lives to do something that he's called us to do, we're flying three feet from the world. And we need to learn to sacrifice. 
We need to learn to set it down so that we can prepare the way that God intended us to prepare. Let me show you another one. Look at verse 5. The Bible says also he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers. That's an interesting thought. And another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. As we prepare, not only do we need to learn to sacrifice, but number two, we need to learn to strengthen. We need to learn to strengthen. Now, the picture of strengthening here is the Bible says he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken. You see, Hezekiah understood that 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 wall that was surrounding the city was for the protection of the city and the inhabitants that were inside the wall. It was the protection of an environment that was inside the city. And so he wanted to build this wall. We live in a society where walls are a bad thing. But you know, walls are for protection, and we understand that. And sometimes there are seasons where we need to make sure that as we walk the, the um, perimeter of our life, that we make sure that the walls are built up where they need to be. The walls of protection are where they need to be. And I think it's interesting that Hezekiah said that he built up portions of the wall to the towers. In the cities, they had the wall all around the city, and then they'd have the lookout towers that were slightly higher than the rest of the wall. And here in context, he said they built some of those walls up to the towers, You know, there are seasons in our life where we need to build up even those walls of protection, whether we call it a standard or whether we um, call it something, a, a conviction. We need to build those up even higher during certain seasons of our life for our own protection. And by the way, when we build those things up, that that is not what makes us godly. That is what protects godliness. And there is a difference. And so as we build these, these walls up and say, hey, you know what, I, I struggle in this area, and so I'm actually going to build this wall of protection up a little bit higher so that I'm not prone to go that direction, so I'm not prone to fall that direction. I want that wall built up. And in our season of preparation, we need to learn to sacrifice, but we also need to learn to strengthen. We need to learn to strengthen. Those walls are there for our protection whether they be institutional guidelines and walls are there for our protection. But what's even greater is when we learn to internalize, when we learn to build those walls up for ourselves. Hey, listen up, young men, listen to me. As the Lord allows you to meet someone and you become a husband and a father, you better learn to build those walls of protection. You better learn to build them up not only for yourself, but for your family. And there are seasons when that wall needs to go all the way to the tower. It needs to be raised even higher. And so we need to learn to strengthen, raise those standards, maybe, high, maybe put those convictions at a level that you've not had to put them before. Why? So that you could be protected. Protected. You've got to protect the environment. So we learn to sacrifice. We learn to strengthen as we prepare. Look at verse number six. <clears throat> the Bible says, and he set captains. He set captains of war over the people. And gather them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and speak comfortably to them. And not only do we learn to sacrifice, not only do we learn to strengthen, but here's an important one. As we're preparing, we need to learn to submit. And we need to learn to submit. And the Bible is clear that he set captains of war over the people. We're going to go into war, and so we're going to come in with a hierarchy. We're going to come in with a flow chart here. And can I just tell you this? When God designed the flow chart or his flow chart for for us here on earth and for your life and for my life, he did it because he loves us, and again, he wants to protect us. 
Authority is protection for us. It's a layer of protection that God has gifted and blessed us with. And we need to be willing to submit to that authority. We need to learn to submit. I'm from Oregon, and if there's something about Oregon that people know, and and the Pacific Northwest in general, is that once in a while we get some rain. Once in a while. Now, I will say this about Southern Oregon and Medford. It's not like Seattle and Portland. It's actually dreary up there. All right, I mean, it rains a lot up there. It doesn't rain near as much in Medford as it does up in the uh, northern part of Oregon and even in Washington. But it does rain some. And we've learned as Oregonians to to walk between raindrops and we don't carry umbrellas. I mean, we, we just don't, we don't need to worry about it. But there have been times when I've been caught out in the elements and there was a little bit of sleet that came down and I wished I had an umbrella. Because an umbrella, I mean, it's there. It's there to protect us from the elements. And so authority, if I could just use this analogy, it's, it's like an umbrella to protect us from the elements that could do harm and hinder us. And so uh, imagine if I was outside, and I know it's probably rare here, but it started raining outside. And I had an umbrella. And you saw me walking to to the auditorium here, uh, and it was raining. I was outside in the rain, and I had an umbrella, but I didn't have the umbrella open, and I was just carrying it. And you might think, man, what kind of chapel speaker do we have coming today? What's wrong with that guy? He's got an umbrella, but he's choosing to, to stay in the elements and get wet. I mean, there's a, lot of per, there's a lot of things that might happen as a result of his decision. He could get sick. He could catch a cold. He, cold, he might get the flu. He might get pneumonia. Many things could happen because he's chosen to not open up his umbrella. How about this one? What if, this might be a little bit worse. What if I opened the umbrella, but I walked around like this? Guess what? I, I, I've got it here. I've got the umbrella. It's open even. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not underneath it. I'm not underneath it. I am not allowing its protection to keep me safe. Some of us buck against authority. Some of us go against it. We're not willing to submit. We complain about uh, guidelines, institutional guidelines and stuff. And, And can I tell you that God placed authority in our life for our protection. And if we are going to prepare adequately for what he has for us in the future, we need to learn to submit. Submission in life never ends. And we need to learn to submit. Now, some of you might be thinking, now, now hold on. Uh, um, you don't understand. Uh, uh, my, my RA is bad. My authority is bad. It's just a bad person. You don't know who my parents are, Pastor Lloyd. You, you, don't, you don't know what situation I come from. You know, it's interesting that the condition of our submission has nothing to do with our authority. We're still responsible to submit to authority. God is not surprised by the authority he put in your life. He's not up there scratching his head saying, oh no, what am I going to do? I got Mike with the wrong parents. God is interested in our submission to that authority, regardless of the quality of that authority. He's interested in our submission. He wants to see us submit, and he wants us to learn submission. Because nowhere in scriptures is a command for us to submit to authority conditioned on the quality of my authority. I remember when I was a youth pastor in San Jose, there was a young man named Alex that came to me and asked to see me in my office, and he came in, and he was a senior. 
So, Pastor Lord, I think the Lord is calling me to go to, to go to a Christian college. I said, man, Alex, that's wonderful. That's great, Alex. How, how can I pray for you about that? He said, well, pray for my parents. They're just not on board. I said, what do you mean they're not on board? Explain that to me. He said, they've actually told me that if I go, they're going to cut all ties off with me. And I said, Alex, are you 100% for sure that that's what the Lord wants you to do? And I think he was a little surprised because he thought I was trying to cast doubt on his decision. But he said, Pastor Lloyd, my parents aren't saved. They can't give me godly counsel. And I just said, Alex, I understand that, but you also got to understand that the Lord knows who your parents are. He's not caught off guard. I said, and if you're going to go against godly authority in your life, or if you're going to go against God-ordained authority in your life, you better be sure that that's what God wants you to do. You better be absolutely sure. I said, let's make it a matter of prayer. I said, I want you to meet with me regularly, and we set up a time to meet, and we just made it a matter of prayer. And you know, over the course of the time we prayed, now, I never told him not to go. If someone's going to buck authority and go against it, they're not going to do it because of my counsel. I, told, I didn't tell him not to go. I didn't tell him to go. I said, that is, this is between you and the Lord. I cannot, I said, I cannot in good conscience tell you to go against your authority, though, Alex. I can't. And so we started praying about it. You know, he chose not to go. He didn't go that year. Let's fast forward to the next spring. He came to me and he said, hey, Pastor Lloyd, guess what? I'm going to go to this Christian college this, this coming fall. So, hey, what do your parents think about it? He said, my parents are 100% on board. They love the idea. They think it's wonderful. And can I tell you this? Over the course of the year that he stayed at home, he got to lead two of his cousins and his mother to the Lord. Amen. Had he left a year earlier, his parents would have cut ties with him. His parents would not have spoken to him anymore. Why? Because he didn't choose to submit to God-ordained authority. See, it's not, it's not about how good or how bad the authority is in your life. God's called us to a life of submission. And if we're going to adequately prepare for what God has called us to do, part of that preparation is not just learning how to sacrifice, not just learning how to strengthen, but learning how to submit. Learning how to submit. And God's placed us in a, a wonderful place with an opportunity to learn how to submit every day. Even if you don't agree with the institutional guideline, you know what? You need to learn to submit. And submission is more than obedience. Submission is, is an inward attitude with the external action. And so we need to learn to submit. Let me show you another one. Look at verse 7. Where the Bible says, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. If we're going to prepare adequately for what the Lord called us to, we need to learn. We need to learn how to sacrifice. We need to learn how to strengthen. We need to learn to submit. And then number four, we need to learn to stay focused. We, we need to learn to stay focused. There are a number of things that can get our eyes off the Lord but we need to learn to stay focused on the Lord. The Bible says here, be strong and courageous. Be, be, be not afraid nor dismayed. And it says in verse 8, with him is an arm of flesh. Hey, with, with Sennacherib, there is an arm of flesh that's with him. But with, with us, on our side, is the Lord our God to help us. So stay focused on him. As we, as we prepare for this battle, as you prepare to do what God's called you to, stay focused on the Lord. Stay focused on God. I can't help but think of David 
when he walked into the valley of Elah with those five smooth stones and a slingshot. And Goliath began to mock him. And Goliath, he began to mock him and saying, who is this child? Who is this dog that you send to me? And he said, I will feed his carcass to the birds. I love David's response. David was kind of a one-upper. Because Goliath said, I'll feed your carcass to the birds. David said, I'm going to feed your carcass and the carcass of the host of the Philistines to the birds. <laughs> Spoken like a real teenager. <laughs> I mean, he was a one-upper. But here's the reason why he believed he could do that is because he said, you come to me with sword and with shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he stayed focused on the Lord as God. And it prepped him for that battle. By the way, as I think about the life of David, he learned submission too. I mean, do you realize that David's opportunity to fight Goliath only came because he submitted to his father's request to deliver the food? Had he never delivered the food, he never would have fought Goliath. That might be a mundane task. But man, you'll never have an opportunity to conquer giants if you're not willing to deliver food. And so he learned that submission. But man, he learned to stay focused on the Lord of hosts. Didn't matter how big the giant was. And because David realized that God was on his side, David was prepped and he had learned to stay focused for that battle because he was focused on a God that could win the battle for him. When we have our eyes on the Savior, man, we are sure of where our strength comes from. Now look at the verse, verse 7. Be strong and courageous. How are you going to stay strong and courageous? By keeping your eyes on the Savior. By staying focused on Him. I, 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 I can't help but, but think, how, how do we do that? How do we stay focused on the Savior? You know, this is not the first time we've read these words in Scripture, be strong and courageous. They appear several times, but particularly in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. And if you were to read Joshua 1, verses 7, 8, 9, you would see clearly that, uh, that um, the relationship with strength and courage in Christ is directly proportionate to my relationship to the Word of God. Because remember what he said in Joshua 1? Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And the success of Joshua and Israel there was directly proportionate to his relationship with the Word of God. And if we're going to stay focused on, on the Lord, then you better re-engage the Scriptures and stay focused on the Word of God. I mean, what was it that Hezekiah was saying to the people? Hezekiah was saying the words of the Lord to the people. And look at the end of verse 8. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. Upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Something that most children battle with is the fear of the dark. <clears throat> And I remember several months ago, I was walking with my son, Ethan. Ethan's five. He'll be six tomorrow. But he was a little bit younger. He was probably, I think he was four, so probably about a year ago. We were walking in the, one of the buildings at our property there on the church, and, and um, I had flipped the light switch in this long hallway off, and it, it made the whole building go dark. And I knew that, Ethan, he was afraid of the dark, and he's walking next to me, and we couldn't see. I couldn't see, and I'm like, Ethan, you doing okay, bud? He's like, yeah, I'm okay, Dad. I was like, yeah, but it's dark. Aren't you, aren't you afraid? I said, you can't see me. And he said these words to Dad, I don't have to see you if I can hear your voice. I don't have to see you if I can hear your voice. And sometimes I think that we're waiting for God to 
spell it out for us in lightning bolts across the sky and say, hey, I'm here. Sure, we don't get to see a, a, a physical presence of God, but can I, can I tell you this? We ought to be okay with that because we don't need to see him as long as we can hear his voice. As long as we can hear his voice. And as long as we can stay focused on his word, we'll adequately prepare for what he's called us to do. Hey, you're in a season of preparation this morning. And as you prepare, can I encourage you? Learn to sacrifice. I mean, learn to set things down when you need to. Learn to strengthen. I learn to build up those walls when needed. Learn to submit. Life is, life is a series of submission, really. Learn to submit and learn to stay focused on God's word. Learn to stay focused on the Savior. Hezekiah led the people to prepare. They had to learn <clears throat> the necessity of preparation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with the preparation process. It's only the first week and I'm already tired of classes. I mean, I've already gotten my project list and I just don't know how I'm going to get it all done and you're struggling with this call to prepare. Yeah, this assignment, it's tedious and it seems unnecessary. I'll never use that. I tell you, you've been called to prepare. You've been called to prepare. And if you're struggling with that call to prepare, man, we need to spend some time with the Lord and we need to stay focused on him and say, Lord, help me. Help me to learn to stay focused on you so that I can learn to submit, so I can learn to strengthen, so I can learn to sacrifice. Because God, you've called me. You've called me to do a particular task in this life. And part of that call is the call to prepare. So God, you're going to have to help me. Maybe you just need to spend some time asking God to once again make you a learner. A learner. When Morgan, again, my oldest daughter, when she was about six years old, five years old, she started taking piano lessons. And about six years old, we started praying for a piano because the piano teacher said she can't use that keyboard anymore because it doesn't have a real feel to it. And at the church that we were in at the time, there was a piano, just an upright piano that we were going to get rid of. And so I had this plan in place. I was going to help the Lord. I was going to teach my daughter a lesson about how God provides, and I already had it all planned out. And so I went to Morgan and said, Morgan, we need to start praying for a piano. All the while knowing that my plan for her answer to prayer was that upright piano at the church, but I wasn't going to tell her about that. And I said, so, so Morgan, we're going we're gonna to pray for this piano. We began to pray for the piano. We began to pray for this piano. And I knew, hey, that day was coming when that piano needed to be out of the church and, and, and into, our, into our house. And, and Morgan's going to see this wonderful answer to prayer that I orchestrated. And it was going to be a wonderful lesson for her as she learned the goodness of God and his provision. I remember picking her up from piano one day and her teacher, Gordon, Brother Gordon, said, hey, Pastor Lloyd, I've, I've got this lady that uh, I, I don't know her, but she's got a piano. I think you should go take a look at it. I said, well, uh, Gordon, we've, we've got one lined up. I said, it's, it's okay. We've got, no, I think you just go take a look at it. I don't know the condition it's in, but, but she says it's nice, and I want you to go take a look at it. I said, well, okay, all right, we'll go take a look at it. So I got the address, and my wife and I and our two, two daughters at the time, we, we jumped in the car, we drove to the address, and rang the doorbell. This lady answers the door, and we go in, and, and off in the distance, I see a baby grand piano. Off in the distance in the room. Now, there's a room just to the left that had a, an upright piano that looked a little bit older, a little bit more beat up. 
And so I instantly look at the piano in the back of the house there, and I say, man, that's a beautiful piano. And I'm thinking that to myself as the lady says, well, she introduced herself. She met Morgan, talked to Morgan for a little bit, asked her about her love for piano playing. And sure enough, Morgan's, oh, I love playing the piano. She's like, well, do you want to see my piano? And she says, sure. And so I immediately turn left into this room and I go to this piano and I turn around and everybody else is gone. I'm like, well, where'd they go? I walk out and they're over at the grand piano. I'm thinking to myself, why is she teasing her like this? I mean, the piano you want to give us is in this room up here. So I go back to this other piano, and, and the lady had sat down, and she's playing it, and she says, Morgan, you want to play the piano? She sits down and plays it, and, and she asks her this question. She's like, do you like that piano? It's like, oh, I like it. And she said, if it's okay with your mom and dad, it's yours. It's yours. And I was like, no, no, the piano you want to give us is in the other room. <laughs> it's not this one. I'm pretty sure it's in the other room. And plus, you're messing up my plans to answer God's prayer for my daughter. And I don't want you to do that. But she gave us that piano. Paid for the moving cost also. And we didn't pay a dime. I remember a couple weeks later, Morgan and I are sitting at the piano and Morgan's playing something. And, and she heard me say these words. She heard me say, man, I just can't believe this. And she stopped playing. She said, Daddy, you can't believe what? I said, I can't believe we have this piano. And she said, but why, Daddy? We prayed. Talk about your all-time backfires. It's like, wait a second, God, no, no. I was supposed to teach Morgan the lesson. She was supposed to learn from me. But I became the student that day. And I was reminded that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You say, what's your point, Pastor Lloyd? We should always continue to learn. Because God wants to teach us. And right now you're in a season of preparation where God's called you to learn. So make sure you adequately prepare for what he's called you to in the future.